0: Thank you.
1: absolute banger hello what's up people let's see some banger emotes banger that intro song is a banger banger ah this is gonna be a uh this is gonna be an interesting show we've got quite Quite the show on the way for you guys. Cooper and I were talking this morning, as we are wont to do, and thought about some really interesting stuff, and so then we're going to come talk to you guys about it. What's up, Aaron K. and Jordan Give, who are members. They're members on the YouTube channel, thanks to the graciousness of our good friend, Random Username. He, uh, in, his, in his beneficent wisdom, thought it good to bestow memberships upon some of you lucky souls there's john mc he was our very first member he was the inaugural OG. member he's the og what's up guys uh if you would like to become members if you're not already um you can do that you can support our show and you can get access to having a cool looking name in the chat that makes you stand out makes you seem special you get to use little emotes uh you get to be part of a little community a community of the king pilled on the king pilled show so if you like to do that, uh, there's a little, there should be a little button somewhere that says join. You can you can click that. You might not have it accessible to you on mobile. Some people have said they have had it. Some people have said they haven't. So um, if you'd like to to join our little our little community here, then uh, we invite you to do so. Um, also, please do the other YouTube things: like, share, subscribe. It occurred to me that we've been we started uploading these as uh, on the on the podcast feeds again. I say we, our our Grunt Boy has started uploading the streams as podcasts, which has been much requested for a long time. Uh, I just never, I I never had a grunt boy to do it. So uh, now I've got a grunt boy and that makes it a lot easier. Thanks, Um, Xavier. You're a gentleman and a scholar. You are. We're very indebted to you, Xavier. What is it that Cooper does? A little little bow. Yeah. So uh, it occurred to me that now that people are hearing the audio version of this, we have to add in another little little call to action which is to leave a five-star rating and review you subscribe to us on your podcatcher of choice and leave us a five-star rating and review
0: Uh, i hate having to do this guys guys i don't like having to beg for this shit okay so maybe we could just say it one last time now like like share subscribe just start doing it okay can you please do that so we don't have to do this gay like smash subscribe and five star <Smash> review? <it. laughs> yeah, smash it!
1: Please pay us in the currency that this little sub market pays, which is attention and uh, positive boosts to the algorithm. Um, that's basically yeah, You already you already, already know.
0: Do. Everybody says it. You already know what you have to do. Just I feel like you're trying it. to get me
1: to move on. But it has to be like it has to be a bit. It has to be a bit where you like, you go really overboard with it. You really lean into it because it's so fucking cringy. It's so annoying and and painful to have to do it. So really, you guys don't really, understand how true. degrading this is. This is this is their fault, honestly. This is the listener's yeah. fault. The fact that yeah. they haven't made us a viral show that's just growing organically. With we're here, we're here producing the content. We should. Yeah, be, you guys haven't got us to the
0: point where like. I'm not because Aryans are coming to dump money on us, right? And get us to sell out and you know hawk for right, the star of David and stuff. That's the point we want to get to, and we if need you your guys, help getting there. If you guys want the king
1: pilled Zionist heel turn, you guys have to do your part, to <laughs> yeah. in creating it.
0: <laughs> yeah, you want that to happen? You want that, like <laughs> that this plot. This is a two-way we want that street. Plot you too. guys
1: play your part. Yeah, we play
0: our part. <laughs> we're getting that season two. We're still on season one. It's been a long <laughs> season, and it's going to keep being long until you get us to season two, where we can do the plot twist. So, right, right. Run, help us we're out.
1: Missing. We're missing our producers. We need the producers for our for our show to be able to launch the second season. So that's up to you right.
0: guys. Furthermore, it is in your interest to get us to that point because we help our friends out. So we'll sell out. And take all the money all the blood money and then we'll we'll, we'll distribute it Coin, we'll read right, right. It. we'll we'll sell
1: out on your guys's behalves you so don't you don't have to right. right we're we're businessmen here we're right. in the business of doing business
0: anyway i mean honestly the price is not that high either guys so just putting this out into the ether in case there are any you know <laughs> right. angel investors listening It's not that much <laughs> No, it's really no. not that much. No, <laughs> like you get me out of debt and you buy me a house, and that's it. We're talking like less than a million dollars, and I will like my best friends. I'll give you their names, their <laughs> addresses. I'll just, I'll sell them out. I will drive you to my grandma's front door. <laughs> yeah, whatever you want.
1: Oh, uh, what's up, Two Bit Podcast? He says suddenly the Jews aren't so bad. Brody Alexander you guys are gonna get to see a uh, my dad one of the most yes Cooper's dad one of the most brilliant pieces of internet autism we've seen in a while Uh, we're gonna we're gonna share that with you guys here in a little bit but before that we've got a couple other a couple other things to get to Um, so this first thing here is is just for funsies Um, just we're just we're just gonna do this one for the lols. I don't know if you guys are familiar with a couple of different accounts on Twitter, but they represent a really fascinating <laughs> uh it's 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 super entertaining in its own right, but then it's it's tremendously fascinating just to see the kind of the the dynamics that are at play here. So the two accounts in question, really almost three, three pr- primary accounts in question. Number 1 is going to be Nick Adams Alpha Male. This <laughs> guy is the main character on the internet. He is just one of the single most brilliant, uh, like, I don't know, uh, creative minds. The whole this, the whole project, the whole endeavor of running the Nick Adams, Alpha Male character is phenomenal. It is just an absolute goldmine for content, for social conditioning, for. Like, uh, I, I don't even necessarily know what his goal is. I genuinely don't. The the guy could be a dyed in the wool commie for for all I know, but his whole bit that he has going on Twitter. So for those of you, who commies aren't funny. For those of you who who are don't have not been blessed by the experience that is Nick Adams, um, alpha male. I'm alpha actually. Male. You have to call him Nick Adams, alpha male. I hadn't had I didn't have him pulled up. I had the other guy, but we're gonna we're gonna do a quick little little jump over here to see Nick Adams. Um so let me share the screen so you guys can see make sure that i've got audio shared okay this guy look at this fucking guy this just dude i can't i can't even look at him without laughing (laughs) so his bio says best-selling author endorsed by president trump founder at flag usa 1776 presidential appointee australian by birth american by choice uh America First Policy Institute ambassador. Very generic, just kind of seems like your ordinary whatever conservative think tank guru representative guy. So then mm-hmm. this you start going through his 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 stuff here and he he's he's mimicking a lot of these basically conservative ink millennial zoomer kind of internet uh celebrities that are very you know the Charlie Kirk would be one of the most kind of paradigmatic of them but then there's you kind of had the Charlie Kirk archetype and then you've gotten a million, million different yeah yeah Chuck Dirk <laughs> <laughs> and then you've gotten a million little little types of that original archetype that are all you know it, it became a thing because you have you had the like the Trump moment that happened and then you had the internet and social media and personal brands and all this stuff all exploded at one time so you had a whole bunch of people who realized this is a grift. Hotep Jesus has done a great job over the years delineating this. He has the grifties, the, the, and the annual award that they give the best grifter of the year, um, where they're taking this thing that's obviously happening, and then they're just leaning into it and playing with it. That's what Nick Adams is doing. Nick Adams' whole whole bit is he's essentially like a professional wrestler, who is delivering his character and the character that he's parodying is one of these conservative influencer grifter guys. Is he actually a conservative influencer grifter guy? Maybe, maybe he's not. Maybe it comes out later on that he's been doing this whole thing is like a social experiment. The best thing possible would be, we never know. He's simultaneously both the the type
0: and the, like the parody of the type at the same time. If he was actually a conservative, like grifter type, he's the the smartest of them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The way like, the, the his gift for copywriting, for knowing how to hit trending topics
1: in just the right way, uh, engagement bait. I'm going to give you a good and by leaning
0: into like the whole, the shtick that everybody hates.
1: Yes. So this, you see him here, you see him sitting here, he's in his suit, he's talking, he's all like cocky. He's got his legs spread. He says, it says, every alpha male should be the king of their house. No exceptions. And uh, so then he just tweets out these links. Here you go. Alpha male Cooper Cup comes out strong in opposition to anime. Good on you, Coop. More prayer, less anime. (laughs) So he he runs a lot of this bit off of sports. Because he's really, the people he's going after is like the red-blooded American uh, sports guy. And he's parodying himself as these guys who try to shoehorn in these political reference into all the sports conversation really awkwardly like if you've seen some of these like congressmen and stuff who decide they want to commentate on the hip topic and so they like fire off their tweet about Colin Kaepernick or whatever and it's just so transparently uh it, it's it's very hackneyed there's no like there's nothing natural about it so he's riffing on that and going just completely overboard with it here's here's Account number two, account number two is is Perry, Pericles Abassi at election legal on Twitter. We're gonna take you down a little rabbit hole here. So this is Perry, this is Perry here. <laughs> it looks like a a, a, a homeless gypsy. Is it pronounced Abassi or Abassi? No idea. He's Greek Orthodox. Okay. I know he's Greek and he's he's Greek Orthodox. Um, his bio says engaged in parentheses to a woman. <laughs> my political analysis and diet discussed on red scare lana stan um so he's lana del rey stan he and he he interacts a lot with the red scare girls which is another podcast you, you if you know is what the red like scare a reply is, guy for the red Scare Girl girls yeah yeah he constantly awesome. has bits going with them so this is <laughs> this is perry <laughs> He quotes tweets this article, the irony poison millennial shit poster has come to symbolize the decaying American Empire. And he said the only decaying I represent is losing over a hundred pounds between twenty twenty and twenty twenty one. So picture number one is him. <laughs> He's in front of, for people who aren't watching this, you have to go to, you have to go to the YouTube channel. You have to see this, see the stream and see the visual here. He's standing in front of this, what is it, like a Mercury, old busted up Mercury that's been (laughs) sitting in a garage for like 15 years. He's wearing this super (laughs) wrinkly, frumpy trench coat. He's just like, he looks like a one out of 10. He is the most dumpy, goofy looking guy you've ever seen. And then he loses a hundred pounds, <laughs> and now he's wearing this gigantic baggy suit, a hideous tie, gigantic big old like Wilford Brimley mustache, and then he's got slides on with his big baggy dress pants, <laughs> fucking
0: flip flops, dude. <laughs>
1: <He's>... <laughs> this is just this is just his thing. So kind of gives you a little bit of an idea of who Perry is and Perry is basically a reply guy for Nick Adams. So every time Nick Adams tweets something, there's Perry in his replies talking about being an alpha male and kind of playing this bit as being like, like fawning after the master, wanting his affection, kind of, that's the, the, the role he's leaning into really what he's doing is he's perfectly embodying the beta archetype in the, in the social, social, sexual hierarchy stuff from like the, like pickup artists. They have the, the alpha, who's the guy who, he, he's the alpha. is everything that's associated with an alpha. And then the betas are like the lieutenants for the alpha. So they're the guys who are natural leaders, but they're not alphas. And they wind up being essentially kind of like the the enforcers or whatever for the alpha. Perry is being like, he's being a beta, but he, I don't know which which one it would be where it's like the guy who wants to be a beta, but he really isn't. And then you've got the... The alpha guy who keeps him around because he doesn't have any other betas that's kind of like the dynamic between the two of them um but all of this is I, I mean I have no idea how coordinated it is behind the scenes but as t- t- to public knowledge this is just an organic interaction that's d- that's developed and I suspect that's how it started you know he Nick has his tweets he's doing he's doing his bit and Perry gets his bit so Perry starts interacting with them and Nick recognizes what he's doing. And so they begin playing off each other and they create this relationship kind of organically. Um, So there was one tweet in, uh, in particular. Oh, actually. So no, it was back on the, we'll see. So another Nick Adams thing here in just a second, but this was back on three-year Letterman. All right. So this guy, my favorite account on Twitter. Yeah. If you don't know who three-year Letterman is, it's, it's really hard to explain he's he's it's okay his bio says youth football coaching legend diehard georgia fan three-year high school football letterman show-stopping little league umpire region champion three-way tie he's he's a a parody of the guy who like who peaked in high school and for the rest of his life he identifies with him with like how awesome he was in high school and everything goes back to that and so he's kind of like a meathead this is this is the the character that he's playing. This some this stuff is some of the most fascinating uh, character work that's being done in terms of like movies, TV shows. That these kinds of guys who are actually it's not just restricted to a movie. They're playing this character in real time over a long period of time. They've they they've developed little cottage industries and and copycats trying to to spoof their bit, but the original is always the best. So three year letterman is always the best. So like, he's the guy who's, who's bragging about how he's a show stopping little league umpire. Um, so he tweeted this today, <laughs> Cooper and I were reading this earlier and just, just in tears laughing. He says, I've spent the last hour shaking with rage and punching my phone screen. This is without question, the most shameful moment in our country's history. Time person of the year is supposed to be only for Americans who pulled themselves up by the bootstraps and succeeded on their own accord. Literally, no one knew who Tyler Swift was until two months ago when she showed up uninvited to one of Travis Kelsey's games, and now she's ridden his coattails to fame and fortune. She was also caught swearing on live TV, and will never be as good of a, will never be as good of a musician or role model as Ashley Simpson, Chris Cross, or Demi Lovato. <laughs> and she's Canadian, so not eligible for Time Person of the Year to begin with. America, 1776 to 2023. <laughs> with a picture of her on time for the time the time uh, cover for person of the year so then of course first person to reply i scroll down and i'm like oh yes nick adams alpha male replies to me and says coach i believe you're mistaken president trump won this award <laughs> with a picture of of trump as time times person of the year and he said nick it was my mistake to not check your account first for the truth i'm um, but this stuff it, it it it's so brilliant. It's such brilliant uh, engagement manufacturing. Because if you start scrolling through his replies, um this guy says this guy named Asmodius says, Imagine shaking with rage because of this. Spend some more time outside and away from screens. He thinks he's the guy who's 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 on the inside of the joke and he's actually the subject of the joke. And three letterman responds to Asmodius and says, Osmosis, I spend plenty of time outside at a riverside <laughs> timeshare in Pigeon Forge. I'm guessing you've never once Ripley's Believe It or Not Museum in neighboring Gatlinburg where I have an annual pass.
0: <laughs> um, someone else. Uh, yeah, these three accounts. It's just pure bait. It's all bait. Right. Two-Bit um,
1: Podcast says Nick and Perry will take the time to engage back if you engage with something clever or on brand. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. They will. And what's... So what's fascinating is this. Um, so I think this Lady says cry more. She deserves this, and he says she's never had a true number one hit regarding Taylor Swift. Um, what's fascinating about this is the way that uh, the way that the these little communities are kind of they kind of form spontaneously. If you go to these guys' accounts, they're full of reply guys who are in on the joke and who are now enjoying the joke along with everyone else, and they'll they'll take part in it. So Nick Nick Adams has a running bit that he does where he will he tweets something about how like alpha males um, only drink American beer and uh, they eat tomahawk steaks three meals a day and they're surrounded by beautiful Sheilas all the time and whatever, he does his tweets about that. And then guys in the replies will say something like, um, like uh, the libs want you to apologize for being such an alpha male. And his response is always either tell them to get bent or ngfh not going to fucking happen. Um just some variant of that. So the guy like he has his character that he plays on 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 Twitter. He posts his tweets, manufactures his 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 uh engagement and then picks out the people who are actually part of his tribe and engages with them and fosters that bit. He gets they they begin to become part of the bit now. Now everyone's in on the bit. And then they can they can target the guy who's not on the bit and then they can go dogpile him. Which is, which is an age-old internet tradition, picking the guy who's not in on the joke and dogpiling him. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, what was I gonna say about this? It's, I guess it's, it's kind of tying into to some of the other stuff we talk about and some of the stuff we're gonna talk about today. There's, you can see in this that, that there's this natural instinct for forming communities, natural human instinct for forming communities. They, they'll go, we talked about the other guy that had his, uh, did the, the acrobatics thing with hot chicks and posted it and people had their little, little, uh, pseudo community formed in his comment section. And it's kind of the same thing here. What's interesting about a community like this is that it doesn't live anywhere (coughs) That, that you, you can't like indicate a point in time and space where this community exists, but people show up to this community all the time. They, they engage and interact with each other and, and some of them even make money off of it. I'm sure he's making money off of what he's doing. He's spinning it into other different things. But there's, there's a community that's been built here that doesn't exist. Somehow it's, there's a community, but the, the, the community is nowhere. It's nowhere and it's everywhere at the same time. Anywhere that you can go that you have internet reception or, or cell reception or, or, or internet, you have this community. Now, someone might say, oh, yeah, so then the question is, once you get out of where there's cell reception or out of where there's internet, okay, well, now you're just talking logistics. Now you're not dealing in, like, matters of principle. You're just talking about engineering obstacles. So there's a community here that you can go participate in and be a part of that is not subject to the constraints of time and space that otherwise constrain our relationships, I think that's I think that's just a useful thing to kind of keep in the back of your mind is there's some of the other stuff we talk about today that's just these the reality of the of the the technologies, the digital technologies that have been developed and that are continuing to be developed and that are going to be developed is that they're fundamentally changing the way that we engage with time and space. And I think that's valuable to Take into consideration if you're trying to decide how to move yourself through time and space do you have anything else related to that cooper that uh anything else about three or letterman or or nick adams or the whole professional wrestling dynamic
0: no not really they're just those are the best accounts on twitter so Mm -hmm. you should go follow them and i
1: think i think there's probably an instinct with some people to see this stuff as sort of um like, the way this, this sort of thing began was just basically just people screwing around. It started out as people went as, like, the internet was developed, and then you get these different platforms, and people just kind of go as hobbyists, kind of start screwing around in it. But as they begin excavating this world, they start stumbling upon these surprising little realizations, they stumble upon things like this. Like you can create a community that's everywhere and nowhere at the same time. People will be, will bind themselves together around a common idea and they'll continue with the bit knowing full well that the bit isn't real, but it, but it becomes real when they participate in it. This process then I think really is a, uh, um, it's very revelatory about the state of the human condition and the way that the human mind operates, and the way that a, a human hive mind operates. Brody says uh, kayfabe is a key concept. Yeah, yeah. I've I owe it to to uh, Eric Weinstein. He was the first person I ever heard about kayfabe from um, when I had my uh, really. Yeah. Yep. When I had my. Were you normal... into wrestling growing up? No. Not at all. I had friends who were, and I didn't. I didn't have anything against it. I was just like I was obsessed with with. I was gonna say I was obsessed with sports. I know wrestling sports. Yeah, I was obsessed with things that are traditionally considered sports. We'll say that. I don't have a. I don't have a a beef with the wrestling guys.
0: Yeah. Okay. You're just not interested in the only real sport. Yeah.
1: Right. Exactly. (laughs) Um. I think as I've gotten older now, I like, it's hard for me to get invested in it as entertainment really. But like, I I think it's fascinating. This dynamic of like the whole thing is built off of personal branding. All of the the wrestlers, you can't just be a gifted wrestler. You also have to be able to craft and maintain and sell your brand if you want to be successful. Um, So from like a business, uh, uh, you know, like, like human behavior perspective, I think it's really fascinating. Um, Brody says in the fourth level of kayfabe, where people can no longer distinguish the bit from reality, including those who started it. Yeah. Two bit says we need to make Matt a a pro wrestling nerd in 2024. I mean, I'm open to it. Like you, you get me started. I'm, I'm not opposed to it. Um, but yeah, there, there becomes a point where, where LARPing is actually praxis because as you LARP, you begin actually manifesting the thing that you're LARPing. You're bringing it into reality through your action. So it may not have been real, but it becomes real because you act like it's real. This is a. Uh, I think this is. Incidentally, I think this is a a, um, a like a really fundamental, valuable observation to make about human behavior in general. That acting like something is real makes it real. We're we this is a this is like a an an energy of humanity that we we can reify things in this way with our behavior that act, that happens then to be like the primary attack vector for demonic activity because demons don't have the capacity to actually ch- like like interface with reality directly the way that we do the way they interface with reality is through us they have to get our minds pointed on something and have us bring it into reality so the only way that that, that demonic activity actually ever accomplishes anything is because human beings cede over their will to demons and allow the demons to direct them toward doing it but ultimately it's the human being that's doing it um yeah here's a a two-bit quotable the ritual and the reality are one Uh, i just wanted to highlight back here nathan norman said really enjoying the content on your channel guys been following for a bit and i kind of fell off when we weren't posting content for a season keep on crushing the narrative and building community thank you sir very much appreciate that. Um, yeah, there's a lot of people who fell off when uh, we weren't producing content for a season, but we're working on getting y'all back. Hey, don't say we. Yeah, it was Don't we. say we. Everything oh, is Oh, was we. it we? Everything is the we, yeah. Yeah, it was your fault that I wasn't producing content there. You were distracting.
0: Oh, uh, That's right, yeah. Yeah, you were taking up all my time. I wasn't, giving, I wasn't presenting you enough good ideas to steal.
1: Exactly. That's where I get all my good ideas from. So if I'm not producing good ideas, then... Who's to blame? Obviously Cooper. Uh huh.
0: Mm-hmm. Um. No, nah, dude. I was keeping that arc. I was keeping every, I was keeping the the like the the townsfolk from rising up and overthrowing you while you uh. very. True. I don't know. spent your year of mourning.
1: <laughs> yeah, my year of mourning also deep within a your home. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, so. On to the uh, the actual substance of the episode today. Um, re- resistance is futile. What I say? Resistance is futile. The fall and rise of American Empire. So obviously we got the little word play there with the feudal futile, futile thing there, um, and this actually works very well. Resistance is futile. You're not supposed to explain the joke. That's my thing. I have to. Part of this is be so I can boot, bootstrap my own my own thinking process because the I use the title as like a, as a uh, what do you call it? like a uh, an encapsulated little little bit that I, I take the title and I, I, I put that in my mouth and then it turns into the, uh, the, the, the pill goes all throughout my body and I, I, I
0: actually know what I'm talking about. Um, hey Matt, have you taken the red pill? I think I did. Are you red pilled? Yeah.
1: I'm an alpha male. Yeah.
0: I'm based. Nice.
1: Based and trash. Yeah.
0: If you guys want to be alpha males like me and Matt, that's us. You can go to the Kingpilled Subscribestar, or whatever, and sign up for Discord. hmm. Or something. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. <laughs>
1: Subscribestar.com slash Kingpilled. <laughs> yeah, you can join our join our little community. That'll become that'll become relevant again here in just a little bit that'll be relevant it will be
0: our community of alpha men
1: uh-huh alpha men oh my god that's perfect alpha men instead of alpha males oh that's good engagement bait too we're gonna be alpha men <laughs> oh you could probably get them riled up that it has something to do with being with like with like the trans stuff alpha men because because mm. yeah yeah we don't want to be discriminatory. We're alpha men here. We're not males. Males is discriminatory language. We need to make sure we're using inclusive terminology. <laughs> so we're alpha men.
0: <laughs> this is what I'm talking about, guys. This is one of my good ideas that Matt steals and runs with. Right, right. See, the
1: problem is you don't recognize that it's a good idea. You just say it and you, you I just have autism. Uh, right. <laughs> you, have, you have this autistic obsession with whatever you're focused on and you don't realize that you're cranking out gems. Um, so uh, Aaron says, some retards, me, need stuff explained. Yeah, and then so I'm, I'm here for the retards. I'm here for you guys. So uh, resistance is futile, meaning that if you try to resist what's coming, you're going to wind up as a surf. You're, the, the, the resistance is, is facilitating the creation of a return to feudalism, some form of, of adapted neo feudalism, but it's not going to be so simple as just looking back at what was in the past and just mapping it onto the future and being, oh, this is what it was going to look like, because we're entering into a, just a completely new age that is going to run by completely different rules. Maybe I guess not, not completely different. It's not like we've thrown away the old handbook and we have a new one. But we're seriously editing the old handbook so that we can understand how to operate in the new age. Um, so I, I wrote the the, the tweet. I kind of got some of my thoughts on, on what we were kind of trying to condense some of what we were talking about earlier and give us a jumping off point for the conversation. So I'll read what I, I, I tweeted here. So lots of people are talking about and have been talking about the collapse of the American empire. You know, people are recognizing that we're... It's become fashionable now to say, yeah, we're at the end end stage of the empire. It's just a question. People are quibbling over how long it's going to take. But far too few are seriously contemplating what will replace it. Even fewer are considering how that replacement will happen. Much of right-wing commentary on the subject falls into two camps. The first camp is, it's going to be horrible and apocalyptic, and that cuts at the heart of our conservative sensibilities, so we have to forestall this collapse as long as possible by getting hashtag our guys in power. So this is where you get the the whole milieu of, uh, Republican activism, generally speaking, some of these types of people go with the libertarians for a variety of different reasons, but by and large, these people head into the, into the political arena and think, Oh, well, if the, you know, if we're on a plane and the plane is going down and the plane is the government, then we need to wrestle away the control of the cockpit from the government. And we can pull ourselves out of the plane. This is a completely wrongheaded way to think about it if you're thinking about it this way, you don't appreciate the magnitude of of what is happening and what is going to continue to happen. The other perspective is more of kind of like an apathetic nihilism. And it's something like, it's going to be horrible and apocalyptic, but it's out of our hands. So we're just listening to the winds, waiting for them to tell us to flee into the mountains and ride it out. I see a lot of this, just people who are sort of just kind of overwhelmed by the magnitude of, of everything that's going on. You know, you're just fatigued. Everyone's tired. People have just become a meme. Oh, I'm so exhausted. Everyone's tired. Everyone's exhausted. And this ranges all the way up to just outright. I don't care. I'm going to sit here. And if the bomb falls on my head, then I'll thank the Lord for dropping a bomb on my head. They... If
0: somebody happens to have that meme, we're like, <clears throat> you have the depressed looking, uh, Wojak guy. And then the alien lands. And the alien walks up to him and is like, "Aren't you surprised to see me?" And he's all like, "Man, I got a lot going on right now. If anybody has that meme, please send it to me because I have it somewhere in my like stack of like twenty thousand memes, and I can't find it. And that's my favorite meme. This, to be clear, this stack of twenty thousand memes that you have, each of them has been printed off
1: in color, and you have an actual stack in the corner of your basement. And you know, you go, it's right about there, and you pull out the right meme whenever you want to use it." <clears throat>
0: Yeah, I came up with my own like kind of Dewey Decimal system for sorting memes. It's pretty <laughs> It's pretty cool. I've got like binders and binders and binders. Binders full of memes. Leather-bound. Binders full of memes. Is it kind of And like... women.
1: <laughs> you got the reference. Is it kind of like when you used to go to your grandma's house and your grandma would have all of her photo albums on the on the shelf and you'd go through and this one's, you know, from this one's January of 98 to February of 99 or whatever and You pull out the right one and you flip through it. You've just got folders up there, but they're just all full of memes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Slowboy
1: says that uh, he wants to know where to send the memes. Link the Discord. If you want to get in the Discord, subscribe star.com slash kingpilled will get you into the Discord. And uh, otherwise, you could probably, if you're on Twitter, you could DM it to to Cooper there or, or to me and I can send it to him. Um,
0: Thank I'll, you. Thank you. Uh,
1: okay, so, yeah, so this, this second perspective, you have the first perspective that's like, oh, wow, this is really bad. We better make sure we get our guys elected so we can fix all the problems. We could deregulate and just let the free market solve the problem for us. Ugh. And the, the second category of guys is essentially, it's kind of like the, the that guy with the alien where he's like, dude, I just got a lot going on. Like, I don't just... Can you just like leave me a message or something? Can you you know can you just like write your number down? I'll I'll call you back here. Just shoot me a text real quick so I have your number <laughs> and I'll get back to you when I get a chance. Um uh so uh the so you have these two different you have two different categories here of guys, and I think that both of these are both of these are just just wrongheaded. Neither one of them actually appreciates the significance of what's going on, actually understands what's happening, which is, which I, it's hard to figure all this out. That's kind of the defining, uh, characteristic of our times is that they're hard to understand and it's difficult for the average person. We're drowning in knowledge. We've got more knowledge than you could ever possibly dream of, and we don't know what to do with all of it. It's harder. It's just becoming almost impossible to separate signal from noise and people are just drowning in knowledge. So th- what they don't need is um, more knowledge to motivate themselves out of this. They need a path forward. They need somewhere very clearly where they can start doing something, like engaging um, engaging themselves in, in something fulfilling. <clears throat> but that thing that's fulfilling, I think needs to be attached to some recognition of where we're at and, and, and what's happening. It can't be... Because people sort of have this, I don't know, this like gut instinct that they don't want to just bury their head in the sand, even if they just want to bury their head in the sand. They're like, if I'm going to bury my head in the sand, then I don't want to have to bury my head in the sand and also do something. If I'm going to bury my head in the sand, I'm going to completely check out. These are, the, these are the clients for the Coom Pods. The people that are like, I'm ready to check out. Okay, can I sit here and just play video games all day and accumulate some special currency in video game land? that I can trade and have food delivered to me? What, what corporation is gonna offer me some way of going into their metaverse, playing my video game in the metaverse, accumulating tokens, and then trading those tokens for food that gets delivered to my front door? That's the, that's the coom pod. There's a lot of people who are geared up for that. They If they're gonna do something other than just lay there and wait to die, then they're going to want to do something like that. That's completely checked out. <clears throat> um, so I see this happening where these basically most people are kind of going into these two camps, but everyone's kind of treading water. They don't really know what next, and it's sort of just we, we're we're suffering the consequences of the uh, the boomer psychological. I guess, posture of being at the end of history. The boomers felt like rightly so they felt like they had accomplished. They'd done it. Like they're at the end of history. They survived not just one, but two world wars. And they entered, they came of age in this time of of exponentially increasing prosperity and ability to navigate around the world and um, exponentially increasing capacity for communication and culture. Went to the fake moon, went to the fake moon, Yep. Like, they could, I guess they could probably be forgiven for thinking they lived at the end of the world. However, multiple generations on now, it's a lot harder to actually believe that. If anything, the people who believe that we're living at the end of history believe that we're living at the end of history. Like, it's not like we've summited the mountain. It's like we've fallen off the cliff and we're just waiting to hit the bottom. That's That's a pretty stark change over I don't know 70 or 80 years. We've gone from we're at the end of history to we're at the end of the world. So going back to what I wrote here so you have these two different kind of kind of archetypes of right-wing commentary that are sort of trapped in in their own ways they're sort of trapped in this in this context of I don't know like we, We summited the mountain and we're here at the top of the mountain and there's nowhere to go and now there's packs of rabid wolves coming up the mountain toward us and we just don't know we're just, we're just going to tread water here and hope that a helicopter flies by or something. And I guess maybe the first archetype would be the guys that are like oh we're going to build a helicopter out of sticks and that's going to carry us away and not like none of these are none of these perspectives are going to be productive. So back to the tweet I said the net effect of the predominance of these two perspectives is that most ostensibly right-wing energy is wasted on either futilely flinging oneself at the regime or moping around within an impotent circle-jerk of black pill dispensers. This simply won't do. It was the failures of Christian men that led us to this point. To not properly appreciate where we are, what's happening around us, and where we're going, is to compound error with error. The next empire is already constituting itself from within the last one. That means we have a whole new territory to colonize with Christian values and a whole new set of institutions to build around those values. Before we can create a time of great optimism and prosperity, we must view the hashtag current year as an opportunity for great optimism and prosperity. Uh, so, there's. <clears throat> make sure I uh, haven't missed anything I was going to talk about here. All right, so let's look at this. Let's this 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 the subject of technology, like what, what technology is, what is, what is our relationship to technology? Cause that's really, I think kind of what defines part of this, this split. If you wanted to take these two right wing camps and sort of subdivide them, you have the, the, the camp number one, where it's going to be horrible and apocalyptic and that cuts right at the heart of our conservative sensibilities. So we have to force all this collapse as long as possible by getting hashtag our guys in power. You have one variant of this, which is operating in the political front. Then you have another variant that is um, more like, well, we just need the free market. We just need innovation, and we need to free everyone by making everyone a positive atomized individual through the glories of the free market. Which is, again, I, I might lean more in that direction, but I still think that it's wrongheaded. It still doesn't actually fully comprehend what's happening. So it's kind of a two-dimensional I am, analysis.
0: I hate the free market. Mm-hmm. No free markets.
1: There's no such thing. Like a market is not like a market is something that's created. I
0: want my own market that I make, that I set the rules, and you give me a bunch of money. Yeah, that's how... And I win and you lose. That's
1: how every market
0: is created. That That, that is what a market mm-hmm. is. A market is a
1: resource. That is provided by somebody. So to have a free market is just, it's just communism. You're saying that we, we need to take this resource and make it a public resource that everyone has equal access to. It's the exact same error as free education, free housing, whatever else. Markets are created intentionally. And then the rules of that market are established by the person who controls the market. Cause you're always going to have a person who controls the market just by definition. Um,
0: so, and I don't know how, if you had a truly free market with no state intervention, I don't know how that doesn't just end up with like, like just like porn and drug addiction. Oh, you know, Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: you get well because
0: that's, that's you're just that's what all we you're have. doing is accelerating the death of your society. Right.
1: That that's what we have. It's it's a fundamental yeah. impossibility to have a market without a state. So what we have is a market that's pretending it doesn't have a state. And it's because it's gotten to the point where now nobody even tries to say, Oh yeah, free market capitalism in America. But I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, that's everyone say, Oh yeah, we're free market capitalist country. Obviously things have changed since then, but the changes have been a matter of scope, not a matter of kind. To have a market, you have to have an actor who is sustaining that market, who is the sovereign of that market, who's the one who will arbitrate disputes and that that per that person, that institution whatever it is 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 functionally a state trying to call it not a state from outside influence yes yes right once upon a time this was how it worked you had a king who owned a particular territory and his responsibility was to maintain that that territory and be the rule of law for that territory this is a divine institution he was the the buck stopped with him and the society was constructed hierarchically from the top down then there were certain people who didn't have a territory to speak for they just sort of drifted from one person's territory to another person's territory to another person's territory 109 of them they've been thrown out of because the people got fed up with them and they had a vested interest in expanding the options for commerce because if you expand the, op- the options for commerce, you whittle away at the power of the king. If you can, if you can get one king on your side, he becomes like you're, you're, you're like his contractors. You're going to work with him. Then you can start taking down all the other kings as well, as well. Because you want, you don't want to have to bargain with, get with the king. You want to be able to bargain against the guy on the street. But if the guy on the street is a representative of the king. Then, by bargaining with him, you're bargaining with the with the king. So there was a, a vested commercial interest in detaching people from their perceived relationship with the king. That interest was motivated by sowing resentment, so that you could break down national borders. Well, you you could really you could break it down from from uh, I don't know. Uh, the sovereign land of the king into a nation. The nation is no longer the sovereign land of the king. The nation belongs to the people. The peoples elect their representatives. Now, before, if I was a merchant who didn't have a homeland and I just travel from country to country, essentially I have as many clients as there are countries. But if I can break down that structure using money and trading and power brokering. If I can break down that structure to where instead of having a King over a whole region, you have several Kings in that region. Well, look at that. Now I've got several different clients. Let's, let's continue this process. Let's break it down till we get to the point where every single person is a sovereign individual. Now, Look how many clients I have. Look how many people I can make individual contracts with. Look how many people I can, I can do business with and change up my terms and move my terms around. This was so the, the, the uh, inception of liberalism and commercial activity are the same force liberalism was, a, was a, a, a pattern of social organization that was conceived for commercial interests so that people would make themselves, this is beginning the process of people making themselves into consumers because you no longer have a society that's structured on productive terms, productive hierarchical terms where you have the king at the top, you have lords. Each of those lords owns land and they get to continue owning that land because they, they, they obey and cooperate with the king. He allows them to continue owning their land. And then each of them has a hierarchy beneath them of people who are governing and, and generating value from that land. And within that structure, you have, an in, you, you have an incentive. Each person involved in that structure has an incentive to improve that structure because the more that structure improves, the more they can benefit from it. Assuming that you have moral ethical people at each point. But this is the thing is that you don't always have moral ethical people at each point. Eventually, someone gets gets eh, they get pulled out of the hierarchy. Someone bends their ear, offers them status, power, money, wealth, women, whatever. And then the whole all. structure starts to crumble
0: what all all of the above <clears throat> that's how you that's that's how you'd get me to sell out right so then so then if you started that
1: pattern you might wind up doing something like owning all the financial institutions owning all the porn institutions owning mm-hmm. all the uh uh gambling institutions owning all the power broking power brokering institutions it kind of seems like if this is your modus operandi, that would be the natural consequence of it. I wonder if we can go check that and see if that might be the case. Um, so uh, this is actually kind of a side quest. I wasn't even expecting to get into all of this. But this actually sets up very well. Because you can see this pattern Then, if you zoom out enough and you, you recognize this, you start seeing this pattern of crumbling. What mediated the the the, um, the process of transitioning through these various empires from essentially Rome through to kind of like Rome through to the uh, 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 the Holy Roman Empire into the um, uh, eventually what became the British Empire? These are kind of like the most significant um, heads of this pattern. But you can see this 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 pattern of empires rising and falling. They, there's there's a new there's a, a particular social structure that's very effective. Everybody accumulates around that over a period of time. Eventually you get an empire that's born. That empire spreads out and conquers a particular amount of territory, and then gradually gets hollowed out from the inside until it falls and collapses into a new empire. But the thing is, you don't get a collapse into, it's not like you can't go back to a particular date and say, oh, this is the date that the British Empire died. People might do it like rhetorically, like if you want to really highlight the importance of a particular event, you might say this is the day that the British Empire died. But that doesn't mean that you can like, you can say, oh, it was on, uh, you know, December 17th of, uh, of I don't know, uh, 1787 or something. Obviously, it would have been later than that, but you know what I mean. Like, you can't just go identify the date on the calendar that the empire died. The empire gradually dies. In the same way, you can't identify a particular date on the calendar where the American empire was born. You might have July 4th, 1776. You might have the the writing of the Constitution. But the writing of the Constitution is an elaboration on the Articles of the Constitution which is an elaboration on other structures. The spirit of the American empire was born before the American empire was, but the the spirit was still there. Now, there's actually a pretty interesting way of visualizing this. So shout out to, to Brody in the chat here. He created one of the most brilliant pieces of internet autism that we've ever seen. And... I am going to show it to you guys. Oh, I need to expand it out here a little bit. So this is for for human generations. We'll kind of look at this here for a minute, you guys, and we'll kind of um, draw what we can from this, and then we're going to make a, a a comparison. So this this is phenomenal. For those of you who aren't aren't uh, watching. Um, you're listening to the audio later on, you can watch this so you can see this. If you guys want access to the link for this spreadsheet, he's got, um, a bunch of, there's a bunch of different tabs here we'll go through, but, um, he threw the link of, to this in the, uh, the King pill discord in the, the server there, the supporting listeners group. Uh, he dropped this in there and said, oh, this is something that I've been working on for a while. And, uh, you know, I just thought you guys might find it interesting. Cause it kind of ties into what you're talking about. And he threw it in there and I just looked at it real quick. I was like, oh, that's pretty interesting. And I was busy with doing, with work and stuff. And so I finally got some time to sit down and look at it. And I was like, holy shit, this is incredible. This guy has done some incredible legwork. So he's broken down, starting with the 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 boomer generation. He's broken it down by, by generation and showed kind of the dates where they, they overlapped. And then he's got some theory in here about the way that these generations relate to one another.
0: Because a and lot of people...
1: Go ahead. He made it look pretty. Mm-hmm. And this is something that's very very important to Cooper and I mm-hmm. did you notice he even he's caught this color coded so purple and purple mm-hmm. orange and orange blue and blue green and green red and red it's it's I mean and then he's got purple and pink together to denote these are different yellow and
0: orange this is just
1: this is like, like time my, my brain a massage
0: anytime that uh that Matthew and I have to sit down and look at like you know, business-related spreadsheets. And let's say we work on, because we're businessmen, let's say we uh we work on a spreadsheet for two hours, at least an hour and 45 minutes of that is just spent on formatting and coloring everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and fighting over what it's going to be like, no, no, no. Use this color. No, 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 no. Do it this way. <laughs> so so, so this meant, this... that meant a lot to me, yes, that yes. it was so pretty.
1: He's got some interesting, interesting Proud theories you, in here that uh, that I uh, I wanted to highlight. In particular, this idea of a transitory micro generation. So a lot of people, when they look at or they listen to this kind of uh, generational analysis, the uh, the way that the different generations relate to one another, they kind of get a little resistant because they're like, oh well, you know, I'm. You have these stereotypes about the millennials, but I'm really more Gen X and I don't really relate to that. And my parents are technically boomers, but they're more like yada, 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 whatever. Right. Like these things aren't exactly one to one. You have to keep kind of a flexible mind when you're thinking about these sorts of dynamics. You know, you got to have your mind be dynamic to think about these dynamics but there are really distinct patterns that we can identify. And then we can start trying to trace that and figure out exactly why it is. So he's got the boomers who are split up between the early boomers and the late boomers. Each of the generations has the early generation, the late generation, which we've kind of discussed this before that it seems like each generation kind of has a split where the earlier part of the generation leans more toward the characteristics of the the previous generation. And the later part of the generation leads more toward the characteristics that characterize the next generation. Um, and then he's got these 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 transitory micro-generations here. So the first one he puts is called the Moonwalkers, which he says this is approximately 1962 to 1969. So this is right at the kind of the end of the boomer generation and moving into the Gen X generation. But they're really characterized around this particular event, which is the so-called moon landing. Then the next micro generation is from 1975 to 1985. And these are, he calls them the Xennials. It's another transitory micro generation that's on the verge between Gen X and millennials. Um, So then, and then you got the Xennials and then he's got the Zalphas. So he's, he's made up some terms here, which is, I I think this is great to give us something, gives us some mouth sounds to use to discuss these ideas. Um, So, According to his chart here, I'm squarely in the millennial generation, though I'm, <coughs> I'm, i <I'm laughs> in the, yeah, I'm in what the stupid name, the big millennials. So I, he, I guess he went from early to late, and then early and late to big and little, um, which I think either one, either one works. So I would be one of the big millennials, and then he's got a couple other little denotations down here where overlapping the middle of the big and and little millennials is the net navigators. And then overlapping the big zoomers and little zoomers is the pandemic teens and so on. So let's go to one of these other uh, sheets here. So in this one, we're getting even more into the analysis. So let me pull this out, make sure you guys can still see it. Well, I won't be able to show you the whole thing, but I'll give you a feel for how much he's got in here. So he's got, within the boomer generation, you have these sub-boomers. You have the big boomers and the Generation Jones boomers. Um, And then you have the transitory micro-generation, then you have the moonwalkers. Bro, why uh, did you do this? Like, like why did he put this much profound effort and creativity (sighs) and insight into just like a... just a spurg spreadsheet as he called it
0: <laughs> yeah that he's like oh it didn't really you know i'm not really i don't really know what i'm gonna do with this but here you go if you're interested yeah why did you do this
1: we're very glad that you did
0: but i'm not complaining i'm just yeah confused we'll come up we'll, we'll come
1: up with some ways that that uh, we can really use this constructively um because i think it's brilliant uh but I wanted to really highlight this pattern where you have this transitory micro generation that overlaps between the end of a previous generation and the start of a new one, where that little interregnum is kind of almost a generation unto its own. Um, we'll just play around with this here just a little bit longer just so you can kind of get an idea of what he's doing with it. So <clears throat> the boomer generation is characterized by these milestones of the Civil Rights Movement, the Vietnam War and protests, Beatles and 60s music, hippies, assassination of JFK, Watergate scandal, Space Race, Cold War, Charles Manson, Color TV, and Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, then, uh, so the Moonwalkers, they get a little bit of the Cuban Missile Crisis and the Space Race and the Cold War and then Reaganomics. So then the next generation, Gen X, gets the AIDS crisis, Challenger space shuttle disaster, early PCs, fall of the Berlin Wall, end of the USSR, desert storm, U.S. bombing of Serbia and collapse of Yugoslavia, the culture war 1.0, election of Ronald Reagan and Reaganomics, Margaret Thatcher, and war on drugs. And so then things that become characteristic of Gen X is punk and hip hop in big Gen X, or like the early Gen Xers. And uh, grunge, punk, and hip-hop for the for the later Gen Xers. Um, and he notes here, if you see with Gen X, the whole generation uh, goes from, let's see, first year of legal adulthood for Gen X would be 1983. And then he says, last year of legal adulthood. I don't know what that meant, last year of legal adulthood. So this would be 15... 15 years. I'm not sure exactly what last year of legal adulthood meant, but um, so then millennials have these, let's see what was millennials, September 11th, Columbine school shooting, student loan crisis, rise of social media, the great recession, election of Obama, an inconvenient truth introduces global warming, hipsters, shock and awe, second Iraq war, Afghanistan war, war on terrorism, MTV, and internet ubiquity. Then the last one here that we can really talk about so far would be the Zoomers. So this is, here's Cooper. So mainstream global warming activism, gender and LGBTQ plus activism, Black Lives Matter movement, hashtag Me Too, COVID-19 pandemic lockdowns and mandates, election Mm -hmm. of Donald Trump, Parkland school shooting, rise of Jordan Peterson to the IDW moment. So this is, that's, if if you don't, so whatever generation you personally identify with You can go look at these other generations. He's helpfully put this stuff together for you. You can look at your generation and how these things, you recognize them as formative, as really influential on your development. And then imagine what it would have been like to be yourself growing up with these other things being the really formative things that affect the way that you see the world. And I would imagine that it would be pretty hard, like the further that you go back, these lists are going to get shorter and shorter of the individual things that really define a whole generation's experience. Just because there was, there was only so many things that could happen to you in your life. Like think about it. If you don't have a telephone or a TV, right. Or a radio, right. And I was
0: saying, the, maybe you get a newspaper that tells about something that happened in a distant land or a distant city, like three months ago. Right. You know, old news by the time it gets to you
1: there's only so. there's literally only so many things that can happen to you in a day it's going to be it's going to be limited so time is going to pass much more slowly for you because time is part of the subjective experience of time for a person is kind of like the uh the space between given events so if there aren't very many events happening then there's not going to be very much space or there's going to be a lot of space between them, rather. So time is going to go slowly. But the more things that are happening, the less space is between each thing that's happening, which means that you're, you're getting like a time compression thing where it everything seems like it's moving faster. And in a sense, it is. Now we're entering into an age, we're already in an age, where you're getting exponential amounts of data that you can't even comprehend happening, transactions, and and data processing and all this stuff that's going at an increasingly acceleratingly fast speed and we're caught up in the middle of that we're experiencing that to one extent or another which is manifesting itself in this sense of everything accelerating so in the same way, that, well, here real quick before, yeah, this is the one he hasn't filled out yet. Um, here's the milestones for each of these different, different generations. This would be an interesting thing to track. I mean, it'd take you a long time, but to track this over over the course of decades into the future and be able to continue fleshing these out. You know, the the alphas are the the generation. What what did he put for the age of uh, alphas? um it starts in 2011ish uh so the zoomers here is 1997 to 2010 the alphas start in 2011 and then there's going to be another generation after that it's kind of a side conversation it's interesting if if we accept this premise of everything accelerating as more and more things are happening at one time then you get this idea of the singularity where you reach a point where everything is happening all at once and you, tech, you theoretically are in a timeless space at that point. And it's interesting that what we're seeing is it, it, it kind of feels like the generations are compressing. They're getting shorter and shorter. Even here, what does he have? So 1946 to 64, so 18 years. Then 65 to 80, 15 years. 81 to 96, 15 years. Zoomers, 1997 to 2010 and then alphas would be 2011 so i would say i mean it it really after 2011 it's almost like each year later that you're born you have a completely different experience of the world growing up someone who is born in in 2017 is going to have a very different experience of the world than someone born in 2023 there's only 6 years separating them but it's just so much has happened in the last six years that's fundamentally altered our relationship to the world that I don't think, uh, I I don't even know. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how this generational analysis is even, is even going to last. Is it, is it, how's it going to, how's it going to change going forward? Anyways, that's, that's a conversation for another day. Um, once again, if you want to be able to play around at the chart and look at it and everything, then it's, uh, it's on the, uh, the, the King discord you can go over there and, check it out and thank you to Brody for, for contributing that to us. Love you, dad. <clears throat> so let me uh, get this out of my face now so that I can see the comments, see what's going on. Oh yeah. Brody's in here. So what is he, I, I had some comments he may have replied to. Um, let's see. You guys are hopping in here today. Oh yeah, uh, Zach Putnam says uh, three-year Letterman is the 21st century Al Bundy in real time. <laughs> that's that's a good that's a good uh, good comparison. Um, what's up, Discernedal Docs? And so he says he he made up Zalphas and Moonwalkers. And Xennial and is a new trend on TikTok. Interesting. Uh, then. He says, I was the, Brody says, I was the kid who spent 90% of his time in EA sports games, making trades and looking at stats. I kind of just spurred sometimes, dude, you are, you are a kindred spirit. This is, this has been my whole thing. Like I've been involved in fantasy sports and like advanced statistics with sports and stuff for a long time. And I I can sit there and just pour over spreadsheets, historical data of different players from different eras and compare them to each other. And, and when, I've, when I play fantasy football, it's really just an exercise for me and my friends to get together and figure out how we can trade assets around. Like, how, how many complicated, really uh, entangled trades can we make? Can we get a five way trade going where we're each throwing in like three or four players and money and everything? And um, yeah, autism is very real. Uh, all right. <clears throat> So I wanted to highlight that idea, that that concept of the mic the transitory micro generation. Because I think that where we are now is a transitory micro generation between g- regimes, between empires. So the in the way that the boomer generation ended after the Gen X had begun in a sense because of this transitory effect this transitory effect drags the boomer generation into gen x and it and it starts gen x before gen x i think that the where we are right now is that point with the american empire so the new empire is already forming or, or you could say is already begun the old empire is already dead but it hasn't completely died. It's still lingering. We're in this, this overlap period. Were you going to say something?
0: Uh, this is the comment from Moldy Apple. Maybe Mayan calendar marked the worldwide push for gay shit.
1: <laughs> That's interesting. Oh man, I haven't thought about the Mayan calendar in a long time.
0: Well, yeah, Brody was saying maybe because it was, he commented this when you were talking about, you know, approaching the singularity and the acceleration of the generations. And he says maybe the Mayan calendar was onto something.
1: Yeah. That is interesting because I, I remember learning about the Mayan calendar originally. And then I learned more later on that the idea with the Mayan calendar, if you like, if you actually took it seriously and wanted to understand what they were trying to depict, it was not that it was going to be Gay shit. Of the world. Oh, well, gay shit, yeah, that it was gonna be the end of an age. Um, the and so in a sense it kind of was. So <clears throat> where to go from here? Let me look at my I'm trying to figure bullet out how points. to do these things in. Gotta look at my bullet points. Okay, so fractals. First of all, you guys gotta use a gotta use a fractal emo. Hey,
0: slow right? boy, isn't this crazy that I was born when you were in high school?
1: listen this motherfucker over here my birthday was a couple of days ago and he said how does it feel knowing that you're just as far away from 50 as you are from 20 and that did not make me happy i haven't stopped thinking (laughs) about that since he said it to me (laughs) slow boy has kids almost your age
0: (laughs) do you think they'd like me do you think they'd think i'm cool Think we can be been
1: been married as long as you are old
0: <laughs> congratulations
1: so <clears throat> fractals so you've got this 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 pattern of the generational elevate the generational um evolution from one to the next and i think that this this pattern is something that you can zoom out further. So you have this fractal where you start off with the pattern at the lower level and then you zoom out and you can see the same pattern replicated at a, at a higher level in the rise and fall of empires. What is empire? Um, as, as Cooper and I were discussing this earlier today, we were talking about technology and the relationship of technology to a human being, to human beings. Is technology something... That is this external phenomenon that human beings interact with. That could then pose an existential threat to us. Or is technology something inherent to us? Is it something that's that is a a fundamental part of what's what it means to be a human being? Is to create and use technology. Um, it should be pretty obvious. I subscribe to the latter. I think that, that technology is an inevitable outworking of human action, of human behavior. You can't um, avoid using technology. You can't avoid implementing it. It naturally happens as soon as you begin doing anything. I think to properly hey, Matt, understand this, what?
0: Apparently your audio is really low. Is that the case, everybody? Or is it just this one person? Also, f bombs are very unChristian. I'll oh. have you know. Oh no!
1: Oh, are they? Don't I, do it. I have been told no, no
0: bad words. Oh no! I can't say bad words. It's unChristian no, to not say on, bad words. On your on your podcast, no bad words. Mm. Well, um,
1: I will have to inform certain people. They're they're just not going to believe that using f-bombs is is unchristian um audio is fine moldy apple says uh slowly whiteboard said tell me where it is State. i'm loud four-letter words are evil
0: okay cooper is loud apparently i'm loud i guess i'm maybe i'll move my mic away let's do that okay put it over here is that better we good let us know
1: guys if that's if that's better audio good okay we'll continue whatever so technology is something i think i think to really understand the the human relationship to technology you have to have a proper you know we have a a uh uh, this mouth sound mind picture thing where we say technology and people don't understand people people hear technology and they think like um like like phone or or uh airpods or a computer or a car or whatever but i think a, a properly coherent definition of technology has to be more expansive than that properly okay says so now it's balanced so you fixed it already <clears throat> okay whatever so i didn't actually touch it. i didn't do anything it was probably when you moved your mic away that probably made it better where they're on yeah, they're maybe. on like a 20 or 30 second delay from us so um so to have like a a, okay. a a properly contextualized understanding of what technology is, you, you you kind of have to boil it down to like its its constituent parts. Like what is technology? Technology is like a it's like a a, 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 a thing that we use for leverage to uh, to act on behalf of us or to increase the the production of our action. So. Human relationships are a form of technology. You, you don't want to necessarily treat them like they're, they're technology. You don't want to try to automate them because then you kind of, you, uh, it's like if you try to hold to it too tightly, you'll kill it. So you, you have to, you, you can recognize that a human relationship is a form of technology without also saying that a human relationship is the same thing as a cell phone. Those two things, that's non-sequiturs. But a human relationship is a form of technology. An ideology is a form of technology. It's like a consensus manufacturing technology. You conceive of this ideology, you implant it in people's heads, you get people to buy into it, you incentivize them to not go astray from it. You give them the the stick when they abandon the ideology and the carrot when they promote the ideology. becomes a consensus manufacturing mechanism that allows you to leverage your wealth, power, and influence to generate an outsized return. So technology is unavoidably human. It's not good. It's not evil. It's a natural outworking of human behavior. Now, interestingly, what inev- what, what inevitably happens is... <coughs> You have your, your, uh, your, your, your technology that is supposed to be a tool. It's supposed to be a neutral thing. But eventually, human beings begin worshipping their own technology because they fundamentally begin recognizing that it is through the use of technology that humans expand their productive and creative capacity. And ultimately, it, you, you turn the technology... I think it's not proper to say you turn the technology into a god. I think you turn the technology into an idol because you see yourself as god. This is what the the transhumanist movement is an attempt to fully redeem human beings through technology, where you can be fully redeemed by being detached from your sinful, evil, corrupt, outdated self. You know, humans... That there's this latent presupposition that humans, the, the human soul and the human body are somehow separable. That consciousness is this, is this thing that you can just excavate out of yourself and drop it into a robot, and that robot is somehow you. But you're not separable from your body. You are your body. If you had a different body, you wouldn't be you. But if you begin worshipping the technology and you think, hey, this technology can actually make me, it can transform me into a god, then the technology has become an idol. You're worshiping the technology. And what, and what is worship? Worship is like a, a ritualized sacrificial attention where you're, you're ritualizing your attention focus on something. So people begin worshiping the technology and the technology becomes a corrupting force that eventually it, it, what it does is it, is it, is it, uh, it depersonalizes a person because they detach themselves from actual, if you're worshiping this inhuman thing and you detach yourself from this inhuman thing that you're worshiping, or you're rather, you detach yourself from worshiping the actual person and you worship this inhuman thing, it makes you inhuman. You are what you worship. So people are are concerned about there's this this, the two different uh, schools of thought I was talking about earlier. The second one is almost kind of there's almost a ludditism to it that like, oh, uh technology is really super is is super evil and corrupting and you know look at what it's done to all the kids and if only we could go back to the days where everyone just used technology called newspapers instead of technology called internets you know if only we could go back to that age then everyone wouldn't be so corrupt but you know we can't stop the, the flow of technology now there's nothing we can do and it's all evil and corrupt and we just have to get it out of our lives and go you know join the amish or you know go uncle ted or or whatever now maybe for certain people that's a that's a, a a valid approach. You can go detach, disconnect, unplug, go take yourself out in the woods, that's great, that's fine. But like by, by definition, that can't be the 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 appropriate course of action for everyone. If everyone's in the in the woods, then nobody's going to want to be in the woods anymore. So <clears throat> I think if we have a proper understanding of what technology is, then you recognize technology is a neutral force. What the technology does to you depends upon what you're worshiping. If you are worshiping the technology as a means of transforming yourself into a god, then yes, technology will create the evil outcomes. And so in this way, we have people who are actually doing that. And in so doing, they're essentially summoning demons through the technology. But the answer to that isn't, uh, just bail out. Oh, don't, uh, that technology, get away. Stay away, let them consume themselves. And I think there's there's an analogy that, um, that is a, an analogy I think that's appropriate here is if you imagine well, actually no, let me go back further. I was gonna go back a few hundred years, but let's go back several thousand, maybe more. So <clears throat> ultimately, the story of Cain, who's kind of like the archetypal center, is one of technology. In fact, the story of Adam and Eve is one of technology as well. The snake was offering technology to Eve eat this thing it'll give you this thing use this tool it'll produce this outcome for you that you want and what will that outcome be that outcome will make you like a god cain had this same this same problem essentially he he viewed this the sacrifice that he was he, that he the sacrificial system he was a part of as a technology as a technology that was supposed to give him stuff he wanted and he wasn't getting the stuff he wanted from the technology because he was taking a ritual and trying to technologize it. He was trying to turn it into techne. That's why he killed his brother. So what's the consequence of it then? Cain is sent away. The ground will not cooperate with him. So he can't make a living by tilling fields and tending herds. He has to make a living through commerce. So he forms a city. Archetypally in Genesis, a city is a stand in for like the place of degenerate corruption. The further you go into the city, the, the worse it gets. The further you get away, the further you get removed from. And this is probably for obvious reasons. I mean, that's the way it is today. The, the function of, of a city as a technology is such that in the hands of sinful human beings, it begins to accentuate and accelerate and exponentiate the most degenerate, corrupting aspects of it. So for, a, a, I don't know, like a Second Temple Jewish, to a Second Temple Jewish mind, referring to a city would have been akin to, it would have had a similar... Um I guess like a psychological impact to someone saying like Sodom and Gomorrah. if someone used if someone used like metaphorical language and they said that place is a total Sodom and Gomorrah, we'd be, oh yeah, we know what we, we know what you mean when you say it's a Sodom and Gomorrah. We have the whole term sodomite that comes from this. So then isn't it fascinating that as our our good friend uh, good friend of the show David Gornoski says, he says, the story of scripture begins in a garden and ends in a city. That would have been, I I, I told this to Cooper earlier, and it kind of made me shudder a little bit saying it, but like to, to really drive that home to the mind of someone who saw a city as being equivalent to like Sodom and Gomorrah referring to the city of God would be akin to, to, like psychologically, conceptually, it would have been akin to saying like the Sodom of God, which is a mind bender. How does this make sense? Starts in a garden, ends in a city, but cities are archetypally a symbol for degeneration and corruption. But I think if you understand the role that technology plays and its relationship to human nature, this actually becomes pretty clear technology is how did we say this earlier cooper i want to make sure i say this right um we are not saved by technology we are saved through technology in the same way that we are not corrupted by technology we're corrupted through technology we we are corrupted and we corrupt the technology and then the technology accentuates that corruption but again, human relationships fall under this category of technology. Ritual? Yes. Yeah, rituals. Ritual is a form of technology. I'm not saying a ritual is the same thing as a cell phone, but when you use the cell phone, you have rituals to using that cell phone. These, are, these things are inseparable from one another. You participate with technology in ritual form. So building the city of God is a technological undertaking. That's not to say, don't take me out of context, that's not to say that the city of God at the end of Revelation is a literal city made out of brick and stone that we have to go build. And that our calling, I'm not saying that our calling is that we need to like build heaven on earth. I'm saying that this conception of of time, of us like being at the end of the world. And so now somehow it was a great thing when our ancestors built the cathedrals. That was awesome. That was fantastic. It was this beautiful display of human spirit and ingenuity and and worship of God. And they had these fantastic, glorious things. But now now if we go build things, if we go employ cutting edge technology to build something fantastic and wonderful, oh, that's actually, that's you're just being corrupted. This is Ludditism. Or Luddism.
0: I don't know what think think it is. Luddism, I think. Either way, you know what I mean. <clears throat> what Brody is.
1: Yes. Aaron Case says, Do you guys think that as technology becomes more and more powerful and encompassing, that humans are more prone to worship themselves? Yeah, I think that yeah. technology is like a sword that cuts both ways. So technology becoming more and more powerful is both gives humans something else to worship but also latently is them worshiping themselves because they're the ones who are creating and generating the technology. The ability to create and, and generate and use technology is it's like a, 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 this is a good thing about humans. This is how humans were created. We were created for this. I almost said that it's a divine It's a divine uh, capacity of humans. Meaning that it's like a capacity of humans that's been given to them by God, but I realize you could p- try to p- apply that retroactively, and I'm trying to say that like God uses technology. Um, I'm not going to go so far as to start making claims on that front, um, but the the use and development of technology, when not undertaken in surface service to God, becomes the formation of empires. This is kind of the real point that we're driving at here. So the spirit of Cain, which is, you could think of this as like the spirit of technology not subordinated to the church, not subordinated to God. The spirit of Cain ultimately manifests in the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel is the, like, apotheosis at the time of this spirit of empire, the spirit of, of techne. The Tower of Babel was a transhumanist exploit. We're going to build our way to God. And not in the sense, like, they, they weren't retarded. They weren't like, oh, if we build a building that's tall enough, we'll be able to boop God in the nose. They were, like, <laughs> they're they were they were trying to transcend their current state by building a global empire, and accumulating all this wealth and power that they could use to buy off demons and essentially begin acting as gods. Because techn- what technology does, when you begin using a technology, it allows you to have an outsized impact relative to yourself. It becomes, you plus technology becomes something that is where the sum is, is what is it? The, uh, um, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Because technology has this leverage function baked into it, so this this uh, spirit of empire begins with Cain. Cain heads off, founds the first city. These cities begin getting big, involved in all this industry, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and so people will point to that. And they'll say, "Oh, look at this! It was saying, it was Cain, and it was it was uh, you know Nimrod and Tubal and They were building all the tools and they had all the technology, and you know Prometheus. And this is so. This is why technology is bad. Completely glossing over the fact that Abraham was implementing technology. He was using technologies. Human beings throughout all of history, good and evil, have made use of technology. But the, the technological." effect on human beings when they are not subordinated to Christ is that they inevitably begin using it as a self-aggrandizing mechanism and try to make themselves into gods. They're basically trying to bootstrap theosis through technology. And the way that ultimately plays itself out is in the form of empires. So empires rise as mankind is attempting to leverage themselves to the status of God. And then inevitably, because this, this, this uh, being, this empire, with fun- which functions kind of like a being, is it's fundamentally dead. It doesn't have a life. It's not incarnated. It's like an artificial intelligence. The empire is an artificial intelligence that's been manufactured by mankind, as mankind is trying to invent himself into becoming a god. So you have the rise of one empire and the one empire takes over the previous empire. Again, like we said earlier, they don't, they, these overlap. So it's not like the empire collapses and then there's like a period of time. And then the new empire starts one empire collapses into the next one that follows it. So you had the Roman empire. You have the Holy Roman empire. You have the Ottomans. You have the Byzantine empire. You have all these different empires. You get up to the British Empire. The British Empire rises, reigns for a time, and then collapses into the American Empire. The American Empire is, it's a son of the British Empire, so they're very similar. There's a lot of overlap, conceptually, spiritually, temporally. But ultimately, the American Empire is something different, and it rules on different premises. Now the American empire is collapsing and everybody's looking around to see which is going to be the next empire. Is it going to be the Russian empire? Is it going to be the Chinese empire? Is it going to be the BRICS empire? And I, what seems abundantly clear to me at this point is that the next empire, the empire that's already being being crafted out of the accumulating wreckage of the American empire is a digital empire. The digital empire is not beholden to a particular nation state or a particular people. It's being the the, the idea of empire is being depersonalized. The meaningfulness of nation state and national borders is beginning to dissolve. It's beginning to lose its meaning. We live in a we live in a globalized culture now. The technologies that we partake of in day-to-day life, like this thing here is someone 100 years ago would have associated the types of behaviors that we partake in together using these technologies, they would have associated it with demons. <sighs> like we, Cooper is sitting in Michigan, I'm sitting in Texas. We're not just talking to each other in real time. We can look at each other and see each other in real time despite being thousands of miles apart. Time and space almost don't mean anything. We can send communications to each other that travel through the air, travel through human beings, and land in a, in a place. When, when Cooper sends me a text, I get this text in this place on my phone, but that place isn't a place. It's a digital place that doesn't have a one-to-one correspondence with physical time and space. This is the empire that is coming into being. The digital empire. And you can think of this kind of analogically to the move from the old world to the new world. Once upon a time, people discovered the new world. They discovered... The Americas, the Caribbean, yada, yada, yada. People came over. Everyone knows the story. Y'all went to school. But imagine 1492. if. 92. Columbus sailed the ocean blue. The. Imagine if the people from the old world sailed to the new world. They landed on the shores of the new world and got out and discovered that gravity worked different in the new world.
0: That's not real, anyway.
1: Right, yeah. But like say you got out and you started floating or like basically there's just completely different laws of physics in the new world. That's what it's like now going into the digital frontier. I told Cooper earlier that every single time that I hear, um, uh, I say or, or hear the word digital frontier, I hear uh, uh, Jeff Bridges' voice from, um, from uh, uh, Tron. Most recent the, the newer Tron movies. Um, so we have we have this digital frontier now. This digital frontier which is simultaneously the new empire and the new area to be colonized. Because once you once you start moving into the digital world, a lot of the constructs that we've used to govern ourselves and to like understand how to relate to our surroundings get flipped on their heads. So the digital frontier is both the area with no population, and the thing that is the the seat of the empire at the same time. I was listening to a conversation with a guy recently that um, Cooper and I want to get uh, want to get this guy on the show and have a conversation with him because he is he is a fascinating fascinating character. He's basically the only person I've seen thus far. Who is both an Orthodox Christian and a student and uh, understander of accelerationism, which I'm just barely grasping myself, but he gets it. And uh, he was he was having this this in this interview, and this guy pointed out that there are very few people in the public sphere talking, making their voices heard, contributing to the conversation, et cetera, et cetera, who are both like intelligently Christian and actually understand technology or actually looking at it and taking it seriously. Not just treating it as a passing fad or just kind of sitting there and being like, yeah, whatever, this this technological world's going to be built around me, but you know, whatever. Like not fully appreciating the magnitude of what it's going to look like. Like you're you're not going to escape this digital world. You're not going to be able to not live there. That will be, that will be functionally equivalent to extracting yourself completely from society. You're going to have to become fluent in the digital world, being able to operate there. And by the digital world, I'm not just talking about like social media. Social media is a component of it. But this digital, this digital landscape is kind of like this, it's like the new, new world that can be developed and explored and colonized. And somehow it's like people within this Christian right-wing sphere have this aversion to actually leaning into that. Hey, we have this new territory that we can go colonize. Like the people from the old world had the new world that they could come travel to, and they could go colonize this new territory. Imagine if the Christians had just said, "Eh, that's that's too dangerous." You know, that's uh, all those Americans. You know, they're kind of crazy over there with their democracy and and you know, there's Indians and you know, whatever. You know, bears. We can't we can't even imagine the the size of their mountains or what, you know whatever the thing was that they were freaking out about. And they were just like, no, we're, we're, we're going to stay here. You let the new world kind of do its thing. And this is where all the power is. This is where all the wealth and history and everything is here. So they're not going to be able to do anything of, of import. But that becomes the seat of the global empire that completely just turns the entire old world into a bunch of vassal states. That's what's happening again. History doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. This new digital space is ripe for the colonization. And we need Christian right-wing people who recognize this and are willing to begin doing what's necessary to figure out how to do that. Which I think begins with, first of all, actually being optimistic and hopeful about it. Actually recognizing the opportunity. Not seeing this as some cynical kind of like, oh yeah, you know, just got to drag myself in there and get myself corrupted with all the the filth of, of technology and whatever. Technology is not a fundamentally evil thing. There are great and wonderful and amazing things that we can do in this technological world. And if we don't do that and start building in that world, then it's going to be used to enslave us. And this is where the feudalism, the resistance is feudal thing, comes from. If you if you begin seriously talking about the way that you can structure the way it's possible to structure societies that exist in digital real estate, when you, where you aren't subject to the same constraints of time and space, it is the perfect territory for a reintegration of both the stodgy traditionalism of the old world and the restless entrepreneurial spirit of the new world. You can reintegrate those things in digital space where you don't, you don't have to be, think of like, you have like, you, you have a feudal Lord. He has his territory. He has his people who work within his territory. And then he has like his vassals but he's constrained by the nature of space and time being able to move resources to and fro his land, butting up against somebody else's land. He can only expand so far there are, there's like a natural constraint limiting his ability to scale his operations. That doesn't exist in digital space. If you imagine, imagine a, 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 uh, a community. Imagine a digital community. It's like land. You can analogize it to like a guy who has a plot of land. And he takes that plot of land and he subdivides it up into little properties. Somebody comes and they buy those properties. He agrees with them. They're going to come settle on those properties. Their responsibility is to increase the value of their given plot. If they increase the value of their given plot, it increases the value of the entire thing. Everybody involved gets better. It's kind of an adaptation on mold bugs patchwork. So each of the, each of the the property owners is a shareholder in the entire thing. Well, one of the ways you might try to increase the value of your property might be to subdivide it. You subdivide it, you develop each of the subdivisions, you get new shareholders in new investment, more demand comes in basic supply and demand. You've got, uh, an increase in supply. You get the increase in demand that comes, they fill up this, this space. Now you've increased the capacity of the community, you've, you, you've increased the productive capacity if your immigration controls are, are, are input, inputted properly. But now you've kind of reached maybe like the limit of your, of the scope here. You can't expand really beyond that point. Cause I mean, you can, you have a, you have a building inside a house. You can subdivide that building into rooms. You know, if you get real, you know, I dunno, Chinese, then you can subdivide the rooms themselves which cram as many people in as you possibly can, but this isn't a recipe for like thriving and, and growth. So you have within a, within a digital space though, you don't have those same constraints. You can, you can create a digital territory. You can colonize that territory. You're not in a zero sum conflict with someone else because there's theoretically infinite digital territory. And then you can subdivide that territory infinitely. So instead of being constrained by the ability to scale outwardly, you can scale inwardly. So you have your initial community, your initial community is the father community. He generates son communities, those son communities can be a fully fleshed out community that lives within the father's community. Each of those son communities can have son communities of their own that can be fully fleshed out, that live within the son's community that's nested within the father's community. Now, suddenly you have a mechanism for social organization that allows you to start a family and build and scale that family in digital space.
0: So what Matt is saying is that we're trying to start a pyramid scheme and we want you all to sign up and <laughs> right. give us money. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know the, the ones who get in
1: earlier are the ones who are going to make the most money. <laughs> That's right. This is this is the subject that we've been we've been thinking and like trying to trying to reason through this, trying to figure out how this might work. Because if, you, if, if, you're, if you're tracking with us to this point, if this is something that has still captured your interest, you know, our viewership has remained relatively stable throughout this, so I don't think that we're boring you guys. Seems like you guys are tracking with us to this point. We're not saying we know exactly how it's going to work. We're saying we want to figure out how this is going to work and figure out what it means to be able to basically um, begin colonizing digital property. And then tying that to meat space. Because this is the problem. You've got the the transhumanists. It's basically on one end you have transhumanists. And then you've got gradations away from that. But they're all working on some combination of escape the body. Escape meat space. Upload your consciousness into the Borg. And frankly, having... If you took... Like, imagine if you took... This is going to sound very dystopian. But imagine if you took, I don't know, half the world's population... And you just house them in pods. Where you have the the uh uh the, the setup I was talking about earlier where they play video games all day and they, they earn digital tokens, and within those digital tokens they transfer them to the corp, and the corp sends them their food and they just exist there in a black mirror sort of way. Well, hey, there's a whole bunch more space out there now. There's a lot of territory that could be up for grabs. It sounds macabre, but like this is the reality that. People are going to volunteer for that. They already are.
0: They're starting off doing
1: this in a distributed way, but they're going to become consolidated.
0: No, I guarantee if you had the infrastructure and technology ready to go right now and you just said, all right, free housing, who wants it? Free housing, free food, free porn, free whatever. I bet you'd get millions signing up right away.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're going to put, we're going to put all of this is within a 15 minute city. You don't even need a car. This is your 15 minute city. You can walk anywhere you want to go. You can walk to work for us. You know, you don't need, you don't even need to go to work. You can stay in your home because the working you're going to be doing is like harvesting digital wheat or whatever. You just, you can just work from home. You never have to have connections with another person. You never have to interact with other people.
0: control the robot that's on the mega farm outside of the 15-minute city.
1: Right, right. Every That all, whole thing is automated. The robot I have arm, it drones
0: fly it in.
1: Yep, yep. Or they load it onto trains. You have the, the robot machine harvests everything and takes it straight over, dumps it into trains. The trains bring it into the city. Everything's GMO. They're cranking it out, producing the goy slop as fast as you can. And... The people are just going to sign right up for it. Oh, yeah, this sounds amazing. You mean I never have to talk to anyone again? All I have to do is just maybe once in a while do a Zoom call, and even eventually I'm not going to have to do that because I can just do my Zoom call in the metaverse, so it's like my little metaverse creature that's talking to your little metaverse creature, and, you know, we can be furries, and, and like, that's going to be the world that people are signing up to live in. The the opportunities this is going to present for the explosion in innovation and productive capacity is unfathomable, not participating in that um, world. And I'm not saying the world that the particular like siloed off world where they, they've they collected the people, but I'm saying the digital world at large, not having an online presence, not not having a digital personality is going to mean you don't exist for the, it's going to start with those people, the cost for that person, you're going to get all this stuff for free. You get to sit and play video games all day and you'll make money. Through, you know, you're going to make money through your video games. You'll get credits or tokens or whatever.
0: And company cash.
1: Yeah. Company cash live on the company housing. The cost of it is you give up your social security number. You give up your legal identity. Maybe not directly, but functionally, that's going to be where things head. Like, what what does your social security number mean if the U.S. government doesn't exist anymore? What's your identity then? Who are you? What legal identity do you have? Why would someone do business with you? Why would somebody accept your credit card? If the organizing institutions are going to change into something different, which is very obvious is what's happening. There's a restructuring happening now. And we, we, we can deduce things about the character of that restructuring, like they're moving the, removing the managerial class. They're eliminating the middleman. So the, the, the private businesses are going to be directly governing their stakeholders. It's just private governance. This is the the World Economic Forums. You'll you'll, you'll own nothing and you'll like it. They're just saying this is going to be, we're ushering in private governance. The government is going to own these things and provide it to you as a consumer because you're being established as a permanent consumer. Feudalism. Feudalism. If you're a permanent consumer, there's no need for you to have you're not going to need a, 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 a social security number. You're going to need a digital ID that identifies you with which company owns you. They'll come up with some other way to make it more palatable and sound equitable and squishy or whatever. But you, the, the, the time is coming to an end where you can identify yourself as a citizen of a country. Because countries as functioning units are expiring i don't know if it's going to take five years or 50 years but i'd say it's probably going to be a little closer to five than 50. even if it's not even if it's longer than 50 years that means you may not have to deal with this problem but your children and grandchildren are going to have to deal with this problem we shouldn't have to tell you that you need to be making children and grandchildren that's that's fundamental that's the very basic That's a very basic thing you need to be doing. But beyond that, you need to be ensuring that you're going to create a world worth inheriting by your children and grandchildren. So it's not just that this digital world is going to exist and everybody's going to have to live in it by necessity. We're not trying to drag you kicking and screaming into this reality. We're saying that, you have a responsibility to begin becoming fluent and operating in this world, recognizing what this world is gonna become. You have a responsibility to do that and then become a competent person who produces value in that world. You have that responsibility, but this isn't a message of, of like, you should see this as it's being forced upon you. This is a brilliant opportunity there's so much opportunity here. Innovation has stagnated across most industries that aren't strictly digital. What's going to happen with this digital proliferation and the way that it changes our relationship to space and time and the way that we arrange ourselves is going to open up vast reserves for additional creativity and innovation as long as people actually start doing it. There are going to be people who do it. The question is going to be, are the people who colonize digital space going to be satanic transgender atheists, or are they going to be Christians who are going to colonize digital space with Christian values, begin creating these institutions, that embody our values, that aren't subject to the same forces that institutions to this point have been subject to. We'll have new ways of being able to restructure ourselves, to organize ourselves in such a way to maximize our own productivity, to be able to provide for our own families, provide for our communities. And to ensure, you can think of it from like a missionary perspective. If if the new world is going to be colonized, someone's going to go colonize the new world. Well, you better send some missionaries there, because otherwise they're going to colonize it with Satanism. So at the very least, you need to send out some 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 uh, what do you call it like little little uh, uh, organized groups that go out there explicitly for the purpose of missionary work. But it would be great if we could have industry leaders who can really move human culture, who are beholden to Christian values, who have built communities and come up through communities that capitalize on digital technology and use it as rather than a dissolutory, uh, 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 atomizing force to human relationships, it actually accentuates human relationships, it draws people together in the digital world. You want centralization. You don't want decentralization. You want to centralize. You want to centralize with as many of your like-minded people as you can. Your digital communities should not be passive hangout spots. Your digital communities should be places where you are actively improving yourself and improving your, 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 I don't know, your community mates or whatever you call it by being a part of that community. You can even turn the community itself into an asset. This is part of what's going to cause a restructuring of human society because the, the, the Republican governance model, the Democratic managerial regime model is massively inefficient and given over to corruption. We're talking about the Gen X guys who are who are the ones largely coming into power, and you're going to get the Gen X spirit gradually replacing the boomer spirit in social organizations. A major characteristic of the Gen X spirit is cutting through the bullshit. It's creative, innovative. It's also like, yeah, you've got all your like highfalutin, uh, you know, idealistic slogans and whatever that the boomers had, the, and Gen X kind of doesn't really have time for that. You have that punk kind of, you know, uh, uh, like, like fuck your institution sort of mentality. And you've got the innovative entrepreneurial spirit in there as well that wants to engineer the perfect systems. That's the energy that's going to be applied in these spaces. So they're going to be selecting against bloated, inefficient, corrupt systems. The effect of this, the downstream effect of this is that you're going to get more um hard power and less soft power. As we as the as the pendulum swings away from the 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 corrupt feminine uh overbearing devouring mother archetype to the the corrupt masculine vengeful son archetype. Shout out to it podcast. So I guess what's the what's the what's the big takeaway here? The big takeaway is, this world is coming. <clears> this world that we're describing, it's coming. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like. We don't know exactly how it's going to be structured. That's kind of the point. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know what it's what how it's going to be structured. Somebody needs to go out it. and make that. Yeah, we're working on it. We're trying to figure it out. We want to figure it out. We want more people working on this to figure it out. We want to talk with people and. And, and apply our, our autism in such a way as to actually like, generate something productive other than just memes. <laughs> the memes are great. but Let's do the memes and begin generating things productively. The downstream effects of like, when you begin wrapping your mind around what this is gonna look like, there's a lot of, of like knock-on effects that become really obvious. Like, it's going to be really important. Like, who, who your actual relationships with are going to become of immense importance. You have the old, uh, what is it, the Grant Cardone or so, whoever said it, that uh, uh, your, your network is your net worth. It sounds kind of hokey, but it's going to become even more true. The ways that human beings arrange themselves and identify themselves to themselves and to others are going to change. They're going to adapt and evolve. The world's not coming to an end. The world as we know it is coming to an end. And there's going to be a new world. And you have a choice. Whether you're going to be a passive recipient and consumer of that new world and become a feudal serf, or are you going to become an active, productive, innovative member of that digital world and become a feudal lord? Those are your choices. And the later you wait to get started on it, the more upstream you're gonna to have to swim. Because like the the tractor beam of the coom pods is gonna get stronger and stronger and stronger. It's gonna suck you right in. You've gotta you've gotta determine where your where your allegiance lies. It can't just be passive. You have to be uh, uh, directly, actively pledging allegiance to a given community. And you want that community to be going somewhere. You want that community to have a good reputation. You want that community to be productive. You want to have access to assets. You want to know that you have a network that if shit hits the fan, you have people you can depend on. Whether it's like, I don't know, traveling across the country and having places you can stop off with people you can trust. Or if you get in a pickle, having a community of people who can fundraise for you. Or if you've got a great business idea, having a community of people who can build that business with you. These things are haven't really been super relevant to people. Cause we've kind of been coasting on this, like boomer arrived at the end of history spirit and life has come pretty easy. I mean, even, even the last several years, which have been hard for most people by the metric of like all of human history, they've been pretty easy. I mean, I can, I can pick up this thing right now and I can order food and have it dropped off of my front door. Life's pretty freaking easy, but it's going to get much harder. as this technological development continues to progress and it begins atomizing people into their corners more and more, you're gonna have two distinct communities forming. One is gonna be the cities. One is gonna be outside the cities. Within the cities, they're gonna have like digital walls around them. And within the city, you're someone within the city outsiders are viewed with suspicion the outsiders are going to be have the same attitude toward the insiders so if you're an outsider you're not going to be able to just go drive into the city and go get something they're not going to want freeloaders they have their own freeloaders they don't need any more. if you want to become a permanent freeloader they'll talk to you but you're not going to have the freedom of movement You're not going to have one big country that's just kind of, just kind of go do your thing anywhere you want in it. Your ability to function in society is going to depend upon both your individual reputation and your community's reputation.
0: Matt, what? It's been two hours. We can't get into this.
1: No, this is the, this is the end of it.
0: Oh, good, good.
1: Yeah. I haven't even paid any attention to the, to the, to the chat for the last little while. Cause I, uh, I had the, uh, um, I was on in, in the flow. I think I touched on everything that I wrote down here. Um, yeah. Imperial interregnum we're in this Imperial interregnum now where the, the one is, the one is collapsing and the new one is rising. So you got to take advantage of this Imperial interregnum and ensure that you're going to be in the right spot with the rise of the new empire. Sorry, slow boy. Not gonna get into it. We are over two hours. I appreciate you guys sticking on. Next here time
0: us. on the Real King Pilled Show, we're talking about why social credit scores are good. Yeah reputation. Envisioning a world with no money. What else? We're gonna talk shit about Orthodox Twitter.
1: What oh else? yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. Um what else? Uh I don't know. Pretty soon we may be uh Hopefully we'll have a good conversation with someone who have a lot of interesting things to say with respect to this. I want to, I want to keep his, if you know who he is, you might know who he is, but I kind of want to keep his name uh, uh, like a secret for now. I will, we'll tell you who he is when, when we uh, get it booked. Um, but yeah. All right. Uh, do all the things, follow, subscribe, sign up, all those sorts of things. If you're, if you're fat or skinny and you don't want to be, thirdpositionnutrition.com will help you be not fat or not skinny because you need muscle. <laughs> Brody says, "Ortho Twitter is ass prelest fest a lot." <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Thank you guys. We will uh, see you next.